listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your host, Jessica O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. This episode is brought to you by Desire Resorts. They've got two adult playgrounds on the Mayan Riviera and luxury cruises in Europe, all of which are centrally themed and clothing optional. I'm a fan and I think you will be too, so check them out at Desire Resorts. This week I came across some research about Oscar winners and how being nominated and or winning an Academy Award affects your career and your marriage. This 2015 study at the University of Michigan and the National University of Singapore found that Academy Award nominees and winners get more work. They get more film credits than actors of comparable experience. And this benefit lasts for five years after winning the Oscar, which is no surprise. But For men who win Oscars, they are three times more likely to get divorced than other actors, and nominees are twice as likely to break up. And I think this concept of losing personally when you gain professionally is worth exploring because we see this in friendships, certainly. But I also see it in many couples in which a big win for one partner results in tension in the relationship. Now, it could be that a big promotion or a new job or a great accomplishment or maybe, you know, selling your business, all of these things may simply give rise to a period of transition in your life and in the relationship, which can certainly be distressful. Transition is a stressful thing personally as well as for both partners. But it could also be that the partner who takes on a new role or a new experience gets consumed by this elevated status. So, I mean, it it could go to their head and it could be a matter of what we call status disruption, um, as these researchers suggest. And status disruption occurs when a sudden boost in status social status, financial status, personal status, creates so many what they call opportunities and resources that it becomes difficult to maintain connections with people who aren't experiencing the same boost. And this can include your partner. And it's not only about a big achievement going to your head. The flip side is that the other partner can feel left behind. Now, when we think of jealousy in relationships, we tend to frame it in terms of one partner being jealous of another person or a third party. But, and I actually see this more often, you can also be jealous of your partner. So I see couples in which one partner becomes jealous of their partner's success or financial situation or even fitness levels or a hobby or This one's interesting. I I see this more often and we don't really talk about it. I see one partner being jealous of the other's relationship with their kids when they feel like 
you know, that my child, our child, loves you more than I do. And feeling this jealousy, experiencing the emotion of jealousy is normal. It's universal. I've said this before and I'll say it again. But how you think and behave in response to this jealousy determines how it will impact you personally and how it will affect your relationship. So when you feel jealous of a status they've achieved, whether that be as a parent or someone in business, do you put your partner down so that you feel like you're on par with them? Do you try and tear them down? Do you let resentment build? Do you look for other things to find fault with them? Or do you stop and think, okay, I'm feeling jealous. Huh? What do I really want here? Do I want them to have less success than me? Do I want them to have less success in general? Do I want to win a contest where I outperform them? Like, do these things matter to me? And I think these simple questions can help to put things in perspective because, I mean, the answers are obvious. You don't want your partner to do less well than they're doing, right? You don't wish for anything bad to happen to them. So because this is so common, and I think maybe because I work with so many entrepreneurs, I see this. I'd like to explore this concept of one partner's success positively or negatively impacting the relationship. So I've invited an expert to explore this just a little bit more. Joining me is Dr. Natasha Sharma. She is a therapist, an emotional fitness expert, and an author of The Kindness Journal. Dr. Sharma, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Now, what is an emotional fitness expert before we jump into the topic of hand, at hand? Well, it's kind of a term that I uh, maybe half concocted myself, but essentially an emotional fitness is the key part of it. And we tend to think of our health um, one dimensionally, which is uh, physically, traditionally. And uh, we think of our physical fitness, are we healthy and we fit from a physical standpoint. And truly our emotional health is um, as important as our physical health. So emotional fitness refers to our emotional health and our emotional intelligence as well. Oh, I like that. So it's like getting a six pack, but for your feelings. I've never heard of that. A six pack for your brain, whatever that would look like. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I like that. I also like the idea of exercises for emotional intelligence or emotional stability. So in your emotional fitness program are there exercises you assign to people and can they do them alone or do they do them with a partner or a mix of both absolutely so we're actually i'm actually in the process with my co-founder of rule your emotions we're actually putting together our emotional fitness online program and we have numerous exercises that are involved for the brain um and the mind and sort of emotionally speaking so yes there is that component as well because as with anything that you're sort of working on and, and training practicing is key so absolutely Okay, I like that. So it's not being emotional fit, emotional fitness isn't necessarily something you are, but it's something you become. So once you have that course ready, we'll have to have you back and chat a bit more about it. But for today, we are talking about this subject of the Oscar curse uh, and why winning an Oscar might be bad for your relationship. So you've seen this study. What do you make of it? 
Well, I think it, you know, it focuses on Osc- on the Oscars, but I think it really sort of can be generalized to any significantly huge accomplishment where, uh, and is sort of amplified in the sense where you have sort of worldwide recognition of, or very massive recognition. I think in a relationship when a person achieves something that is enormously big, I mean, conventionally speaking or materially speaking, um, it can sometimes elicit feelings in the partner or the person in the relationship who isn't achieving at that level, particularly if they're in the same field. If they're in different fields, you have sort of what's called a de-identification process sometimes, whereby one doesn't really feel in direct competition and decreases the chances that, for example, winning an Oscar. So if you have an actor married to an engineer or a lawyer, for example, um, the chances kind of come down. But I think what you're really dealing with is someone who may have time constraints that actually pave the way to obtaining that achievement, which is very often the case, and then following that achievement, um, numer- more demands on their time and sort of more opportunities to maybe disengage from the relationship. So I think it sort of can, some, can happen from both sides. Yeah, so we, we think of this term status disruption. Mm-hmm. So this sudden jump in social achievement or personal status uh, can bring on this feeling that you have so many opportunities and so many resources. And so the connection that you feel to the people you were connected with prior to that big status disruption can be eroded or threatened. So you must see this in your practice. Uh, do you see couples in which one person either lets an accomplishment go to their head or the other person you know, feels left behind? Absolutely. Um, I haven't worked with any Oscar winners. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, absolutely, I've worked with couples where there have been some very high achievers, particularly in the field of tech. And um, also just in general, it doesn't even have to be, um, uh, you know, anything uh, significant with respect to money, power, fame, or even position. I've seen couples that really struggle with competing at the end of the day, competition with one another. And that is really the underlying problem is competition which stems from insecurity in oneself. And what it is that they're competing over, whether it's because someone is 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 really successful and being promoted at work or winning an Oscar or just, you know, just making an extra 10 grand a year in those kinds of relationships, any kinds of advances um, can be threatening. Yeah. So how do you not compete with your partner? You mentioned the de-identification process, which is promoted by the possibility that you don't work in the same field or you have different strengths and weaknesses, but how can you benefit from this de-identification process or how do you not compete with your partner, even if you are working in a similar field and share similar interests? Well, I think it's important to sort of separate functional problems in the relationship from personal problems. And a functional problem would be, for example, in a relationship or married with or married to someone who is so famous, an actor, um, and even an Oscar winner, is that you may not see them very often. And uh, especially if you're not in that field and you don't have an intimate understanding of it, that is 
sort of a functional problem for the relationship where it takes a, a very sort of unique compatibility for people to be okay with the kind of situation where someone is 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 avail unavailable for huge periods of time and also has many opportunities and many people clamoring for their attention. So it takes a very secure person and a very independent person to be able to be okay with that. It's possible, but that's a functional problem of a relationship. The emotional or the personal problems come where uh, one feels threatened by the success and sort of one of the ways to offset that is to um, it, it, it goes two ways. I think the person who's a very high achiever, how do they handle that achievement within the relationship? Um, you know, we, I think we've all heard the stories of some Oscar winners who literally, you know, they come home with their trophy and maybe they, it's, it's a paperweight in their office. And I'm not saying that that's not a major accomplishment, but at the end of the day, these things aren't what bring us deep meaning in our relationship. So it, it depends on how the person who's achieved something uh, very huge, how they, um, how they live their life within that achievement. And then it depends on the person, the other person, how secure they are within themselves. So can they take pride in their own accomplishments? Do they realize that they have separate and unique talents um, and that somebody else's success does not equal their failure? That's a key sort of cognitive understanding that needs to take place in order to feel secure. Okay, so it sounds like on both sides, it really is about building security. Uh, so how do, how do you do this? If you feel like your partner is way ahead of you, whether it be in business, in their social life, maybe even in fitness. I was thinking about health and fitness when one partner gets really into staying fit and the other feels left behind like they can't catch up. How do you develop, yeah, how do you really work on your own security and your own sense of self? Well, you have to really sit with yourself and understand what's blocking you because it's not your partner. You know, it's, we have a tendency to blame the other person in these situations and say that, you know, I, I just get really disgruntled or I, I just think, what's the point? I look at their physique. That's actually a really good example, by the way, because that's very, that's common. Mm -hmm. you know, very fit or, or, um, you know, very, uh, taking very good care of themselves and another partner falls behind. And I think it's important for the person who feels like they're falling behind to ask themselves why they think that's the case, because it sort of forces them to really look within to find that the block, the blockers are within themselves, not the other person, even in the event that the other person isn't very appropriate about their achievements. So for example, someone who's kind of flagging their Oscar in your face or flaunting their body and saying how great they look. I mean, that's not very nice to be around and you probably won't really like those qualities, but at the end of the day, it's only us we are the only people who stop ourselves because of how we react to the situations around us so we have to ask ourselves what's blocking me am i speaking to myself in my head and just putting myself down am i am i telling myself what's the point am i am i the one who's putting um the knife in my foot here uh and you have to find out how you're doing that and get over that Right. I think that's a real challenge. We tend to look for outside sources of our own misery. Uh, like, what, what advice do you have for someone who says, okay, I do that. I'm not always aware of it. How do I start looking within myself to take responsibility for how I'm feeling? 
That's a really, really good question. I think the very first thing is to admit to ourselves that everything we feel is ultimately created from within us. Now, that doesn't mean that the people uh, and events that surround us don't play a role. Of course they do. If somebody comes up to you in the street and punches you in the face, of course you're going to uh, you know, have a certain feeling or if your partner cheats on you, you're going to have a certain feeling. But I think at the end of the day, we still are the ones who are experiencing um, a, a series of thoughts and, 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 and uh, sequences in our mind that lead to that feeling. So it comes from within us. And if we know that it comes from within us, then it gives us the power and control to rewrite that story to change the emotion going forward, if that makes sense. So it's it kind of starts with using statements like, I feel that way, not in relationships. And when I see couples in my work, I often see, you made me feel this, or I often hear rather, you made me feel this, you did, you made me feel that. Well, nobody made you feel anything. The better way to start sort of thinking about these things and saying it is, when this happened, or when you did that, I felt this. So you see how it changes. You're taking ownership for the feeling, but it's still important that you feel that way. And I think that's a really important starting step. Yeah, that, that's such an important script for people to have, because we do tend to blame others for our feelings instead of acknowledging that, yes, your behavior may have spawned that emotion in me, but that emotion may have been boiling beneath the surface, or it could be tied to something that happened, that happened earlier that day or even a year ago. So yes, I feel that way, and it's totally valid, but it's not all on you. It's partly on, my, on me and my own experiences. So on the flip side, so we've talked about the partner who is perhaps feeling left behind. We have some research showing that, for instance, high-income, high-power people are more likely to cheat, um, more likely to perhaps treat their partner unfairly. How do you ensure that when you do accomplish something great, you simultaneously celebrate it, but you also don't let it go to your head and leave your partner behind? And I see this, obviously, I don't work with Oscar winners either. I see this more around small achievements in the workplace or small achievements related to health where, you know, like you, you go and get really, really fit, especially around midlife, because when we're young, we're all kind of fit. Um, but, you know, I see couples in their 40s where one decides to go on this fitness binge that's, you know, I, not binge, but they get really healthy, they're eating better, they're exercising, and then they're judgmental of their partner for not doing the same. So how do you be who you are, sit in those accomplishments, but don't let it go to your head. Well, I think one of the greatest uh, weaknesses, if I could call it that, of all of us as human beings, or generally speaking, is that we, 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 well, a natural a drive that we have is to be equal with people, not just our partners, but with people. We want to feel relatively equal in our self-worth, not necessarily status and money and so forth, but in how we value ourselves. And so when we see people who are doing better than us or achieving more in our minds, which is very easy to do these days uh, or to be deceived into that these days with social media, um, then we, we have a natural drive to level the playing field. And I would say one of the fallacies of, of humanity is that instead of rising up to meet them, we'll try to lower them to our level. And they're sort of, because there's those are the two ways that you would achieve that sort of levelness in your mind. Mm -hmm. And so I would say, you know, if you're that person who feels or perceives that someone is doing better or, or, or being really successful at something you'd also like to be successful at, or you just simply admire them, 
rise up to their level. Find out how you can learn from them is what I tell people. Don't drag them down to your level and say, well, you know, well, she runs an amazing company and she's famous, but you know what? She's been divorced two times and my marriage is fine. So there you go. We're even or we're, we're equal. We tend to do that. And I think it's instead it would be better to, to focus on the success of someone and see how can I learn from them in the areas that they're, success, they're successful at? How can I rise up to meet them? In terms of how, uh, you know, some people get to these positions and may, um, it may change their behavior. I think there's two kinds of people. One, uh, the first type is um, individuals who may have certain personality characteristics that already make it more likely that they become uh, high-powered, high-income people. And studies have shown that certain characteristics, um, extroversion, um, not entirely clear on the sort of neurotic personality trait, but definitely extroversion and some amounts or certain types of aggression are very correlated with uh, high income, high achievement, because th these people are very driven. And the downside of those personality characteristics is it can sometimes lead to also slightly narcissistic characteristics, which, which then make a person more prone to um, you know, engage in behavior that could be harmful to someone or lacking in empathy, such as uh, cheating or, or, or other inappropriate things. Now, again, I'm speaking very generally. The other kind of person is someone who doesn't have that kind of persona, but once they have a major achievement or they've reached a certain level where all of a sudden these doors are thrown open, particularly in countries like the United States, because there really is a difference culturally as well when you achieve certain um, heights and certain levels. All of a sudden, the doors are thrown open. People are throwing themselves at your feet. You know, you, you feel like a king or a queen. Um, people are vying for your attention. They're making you feel like a movie star, not just on the set, but 24-7. I think there's another kind of person that can find it difficult to resist that kind of temptation. And I think all of us, you know, when we're thrust into more opportunities, um, it increases the chance that we may um, stray or cheat or find somebody else who we think, um, or who might actually be better suited for. So how you offset that or how you um, avoid that sort of trap is to, it sounds a little corny, but, and a lot of movie stars and famous people will say this, but they, the, the wise ones find ways to stay grounded and to stay anchored. So, um, because a lot of that world can be very um, uh, fluffy and extremely uh, um, transparent and not very long lasting. So they find and they, they stay mentally and physically anchored to those things that are stable, such as old friends who have known them before they were famous, um, people who have been them throughout it all, people who have seen the, 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 them glittering from head to toe, but also the opposite. And they, they sort of remind themselves on a regular basis what's meaningful and, and important in their life. And I think that's, that's one of the best things you can do. Yeah, I would uh, presume that maintaining the humility is a challenge after you have such a huge accomplishment like an Oscar or you sell a big tech company or, you know, you feel really fit and strong, whatever, whatever your accomplishment may be. Uh, and it's interesting because when we look at life on a larger scale and what we contribute to this world by the time we're old and we pass, those are not the things that we tend to reflect back on with the same degree of pride. Yeah. So maintaining that humility, one thing for me, 
um, I'm always reminding myself how lucky I am and that my life is not normal. You know, when I, I was outside today and it's freezing cold in Toronto. So folks, it's already April the 17th and it's really, really cold. And um, everybody's complaining about the weather. And I remind myself that, you know, most people around the world don't necessarily have electricity in their homes, the warmth to keep them warm, the food to nourish their bodies. And I'm thinking like, if all of my problems are that I'm cold right now in my very expensive warm winter jacket, I really have no problems. And I think we all need that reminder that we're just these human beings and we got lucky. I mean, I'm lucky I was born in Canada. I'm lucky for so many different reasons that, you know, I'm afforded privilege. And I, of course, I like to think it's hard work, but it's not just hard work. It's it work. It's just a lot of luck I was born with as well. Yeah. Practicing gratitude and compassion and kindness is so key. These three things sit at the top of simple but extremely powerful actions that we can do every day to drastically change our emotional fitness and our well-being and it's so true um it's i think it's okay you know i'm i'm certainly uh, a big supporter of being human to a certain extent we look outside and we have a little bit of oh you know oh my gosh it's snowing in mid-april but quickly kind of getting over that and realizing after that little like a like a second of of a of a gripe realizing it's really not that big of a deal. It's a tiny inconvenience in the grand scheme of things. And we're lucky enough just to be alive to see another day. Um, and you don't have to go that deep every single day in your gratitude practices. But I think what you said is so important and so crucial um, for well-being. So I want to ask you one more thing before I let you go. And this has to do with resentment. And it's a pattern that I see with, with many of my clients. So I see couples in which... One person has given up their own career and ambitions for their partners. And at first it seems to work, but with time, especially as their kids get older, resentment can start to set in and they kind of begin to regret their uh, deference, for lack of a better word. So I'm, I want to talk really briefly, if you're a newlywed couple and you're considering having kids and you're both professionals, perhaps you have similar or disparate career ambitions. If you're newlywed, do you have advice on how to navigate this inevitable shift that will occur with the added responsibilities of parenthood? Like if you're considering giving up your career, what do you really need to consider? And then the second part is for those who are already at the point where you or your partner is starting to feel this resentment, how can we address this? So perhaps we start with the first one. If you're considering giving up something that you think you value, like your career, in order to raise kids, and we see these models of people who do resent it, um, how do you na navigate this from the get-go? You know, I think it's really different for each family, and it's important to realize there's no right answer, although people will have you think that there's a right way to do right. things. Mm -hmm. family, and especially with children, it's your way or the highway. And by your way, I mean the family's way. And I think in some cases, it will work really well for people to um, divvy that up. One person maybe stays and, be, and is the primary caregiver while the other person goes and, and has earns the income. And in other cases, they'll both go and earn income and share the parenting duties and all of it sort of equally. And I think it becomes a very personal decision that they design, but one that needs to be taken on with intelligence and with conscientiousness. So if you're going to um, defer your career or give it up altogether, I think it's really important for 
the family to really know what they're doing when they do that. And it's, again, for people who genuinely want to um, stay home and raise their kids, that's, if that's consciously and authentically what they want to do, that's the best decision for them and they should go and do that. But for someone who might be doing that only because a partner pressures them to, or they feel it's their um, responsibility, let's say as a female, uh, to, to do that, or they're getting pressure from outside sources, that, those are not the best circumstances under which to give up your career because that's going to likely lead to resentment down the road. So I think the reasons for giving up that career become, or, or deferring it, as you say, become very important. And we can't have it all in this world. And when you have children, we definitely can't have it all at the same time. So it's very important to tailor expectations and realize that sometimes, most times in life, we have to choose which joys and which pleasures outweigh other joys and pleasures and sometimes forego something like um, working or, or, or the, the opposite, which is um, 24 seven time with my kids. I'd rather split that up, you know, and, and instead continue my career. So I think it comes down to that. And I think it's, I don't know if you'll agree or if people come to see you for this. I always think of therapy as more effective when it's preventative. So I think if I were in this scenario, I'd want to go talk to a therapist about the potential resentment that could arise. Like I always think it's great to think about worst case scenarios and discuss how you might manage those with your partner. And it may, some people can do that alone, but I think some people are better off with a facilitated conversation with a therapist. I so, agree. I think, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, are you, I, I'm just wondering if people can come see you for just a few appointments, because I think we often think of therapy as this old school psychotherapy, lying on a couch, talking about my childhood. My mom wouldn't give me the apple juice kind of thing. Yeah. When in fact, it can be a very brief solution focused, here's what I want to do, help me with this. And people need to be empowered to demand, not demand, but ask for what they want from their therapists. Absolutely. And, and I think that if we could live in a world where we could have access to just, even if we only had one every month or every few months um, as maintenance, the way we, you know, we were, we're offered a physical every year, but we're not offered the same um, psychologically. And I do say to my couples that come, or I think, you know, to my, in my head, I don't always share this with them, but the reality is, is that when couples come to see a couples therapist, I'm sure you know this, is um, it's more often than not too late. And one of them has usually checked out. And that's why um, couples therapy or marriage counseling has not always the best reputation. It's not because of the process. It's because quite often the people, once they've arrived, it's often far too late. I would say... Um, that couples that are considering a lifelong commitment and certainly children all go see a therapist as a matter of just um, checking in. I think it's a really good thing to do and something good to get into the habit of, even if you're in a really great place, I think it's good. And that's sometimes the best time to do the check-in is when you're in a really great place, because then you can discuss some of the challenges that are ahead with more, with more empathy and in a space of being a little bit more rational. Now, we only have a minute left, so I wanna quickly ask uh, about this resentment issue. So if you've gotten to the point where you have given something up so that your partner can achieve something great, whether that be in career or in another realm of your life, and you are feeling some resentment. Uh, you talked about couples coming far too late to therapy. So what is the first step if you're feeling 
a little bit resentful over something you've sacrificed for your partner's success. I think it's important to own that, own that resentment. So you might be resentful if someone pressured you into that decision and that's fair, or perhaps you're resentful at yourself because you ultimately made the call or maybe nobody pressured you and you thought you were doing the best thing. So I think in order to get over resentment, um, it's important to realize that it's a very uh, negative emotion. It can be helpful because it can motivate us to make a change, but it's not a good one to have hanging around in your, in your toolkit, if you know what I mean. So I think it's very important to understand um, that resentment is, is only as good as it gets you to the next level of change. And sitting and wallowing in resentment over something is just frozen anger and better to use it towards um, deciding how you want to make a change going forward if you're not happy with the outcome of the decision you've made in the past. All right, I find that really useful, the idea of saying I feel this really negative emotion so I can do something about it. And I think a lot of the times in Canadian culture, we like to avoid the negative emotions. Like we always want to be strong and we always need to be happy and we need to be shiny. But the reality is you have days where you, you hate everything. <laughs> and um, oftentimes that when you're most frustrated, the intensity is really related to the way in which you blame yourself. So uh, yeah, I find that very useful. Thank you so much for your time. Where can people learn a little bit more about you? You can go to my, they can go to my website, natashasharma.com, or they can go to my uh, books website and soon to be emotional fitness course, which is thekindnessjournal.com. Okay. This sounds really great. I love the way you approach emotional fitness, the way we might approach physical fitness. It's something you have to invest in daily. I love the idea of, a, of an annual checkup. I would love to see that on the books with some of our lobbyists to offer support for, for mental and emotional health. So thank you so much for being here. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening once again. Remember that feelings of both jealousy from one partner and feelings of grandeur from the other after a big achievement are normal. You cannot eradicate these feelings, but you can change the way you think about these challenging or unwanted feelings. And of course, change the way you behave in response to them. And this is something I bring up often, but a very important approach, an effective approach. This is the cognitive behavioral model. And it works. So if you don't like the way you're feeling, rather than trying to directly change, ignore, or judge yourself for the emotion, take a step back and examine how you think about this feeling or how you think about the circumstances that led to this feeling. And think about how you behave when you feel this way. Because if you start thinking differently and behaving differently in a more constructive and caring way, the negative or unwanted feeling will begin to subside. And in the upcoming weeks, I'd like to bring a cognitive behavioral therapist, another one on, to talk about some of the cognitive distortions we experience in our relationships and how, how, can, how we can manage them. But that's all the time we have for today. So I am going to go. We release a new episode every Friday morning, so be sure to subscribe, share, and follow, follow along. I am at Sex with Dr. Jess on all social media. Have a great one, folks. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.